This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. When I first met Francesca Hong, she was the co-owner of one of my favorite restaurants in downtown Madison, Morris Ramen. I knew that she was politically active and had taken part in organizing groups like the Culinary Ladies Collective, but she didn't strike me as someone who had an eye on running for the legislature at the time. And then the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and things changed. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Of course, it's not quite that simple, but Francesca's frustration with the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic did play a large role in fueling her decision to run for office. After winning the August Democratic primary, Francesca is all but certain to represent Wisconsin's 76th Assembly District after winning the general election in November in this heavily liberal district. Before we launch into this week's episode, I would like to note that we had this conversation before the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. And I think that's important to note because it's something that we absolutely would have spent a great deal of time talking about. So because that's not included in this conversation, I would advise you to check out Francesca Hong on social media and see what she and other candidates and activists have been working on in terms of policing reform. Well, congratulations. Um, has it sunk in yet? Not really. I mean, we're, we still have a general um, and I have a Republican challenger. And, you know, the work uh, that I'm doing with folks in the community hasn't stopped. Uh, the restaurant's still open and we're still living in absurd times. So I think if anything, I just have more meetings now. And uh, uh you know, I feel like I got to up my Twitter game a lot. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty okay. And now I feel like it's got to get fire. So <laughs> adding things to the prep list. Yeah. I mean, you weren't exactly not busy before you did this. So speaking of your Twitter game, um, which I think is already, already pretty strong, um, your reactions to your election were basically hey, the Bucks won, and also, I'm glad I didn't shave my legs today. Um, so what, what, what was the, the leg-shaving thought process, and, and why were you glad that you didn't? Um, yes, the hard-hitting questions here. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of like we're all trying to figure out how much to, like, normalize every day in terms of our routines and, um that's all changing for folks. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I needed to um, send out into Twitterverse and other folks, like not to distract from what was happening um, with the election and the world, but just like once in a while, I want to put out observations. And I observed that I had not shaved in a long time, uh, shaved my legs in a while. Um, just doesn't it's not a priority to me anymore i don't think anyone should feel like they should ever have to shave their legs especially women or self-identifying women or any any folk for that matter um so 
I think at the end of the night, um, you know, I, I woke up with that thought and then I, mm-hmm. one of the last thoughts I had was, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad I didn't shave my legs. Um, I am a, a pretty big Bucks fan, um, a little bit bandwagony in the past couple years. Um, I followed them for a while and they broke my heart too many times and I felt like we needed some distance. So, but, you know, in the middle of watching numbers come in, found out that Giannis headbutted a dude. So I was like, this is, I mean, we have to be talking about this. Um, then that got me thinking back to um, one of uh, the players I used to watch a lot, Zinazane Zidane, um, headbutting during, I think it was the 2002 World Cup. And I was, you know, just... That's that's what I was thinking about at the time. Um, to be perfectly honest, I it was a shock to win. Um, I I think so many people have been talking about change for so long, um, and during these times, it's 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 overwhelming amount of change. So people haven't been talking about it as much, and. Um, I was hoping to just get more folks engaged and um, to care again about not only their community, but uh, what role the government has in our community. So I was going to give that, I, I had my full speech ready for the team to be like, I, you know, thank you so much for pushing me to do this. We made a difference no matter what um, we made a difference. And uh, instead it was, you know, a very um, unscripted, uh, Instagram live with multiple F bombs. Um, <laughs> already thinking I'm going to need PR before, before anyone else uh, heading in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so th- those were just my thoughts. And I think um, I will always try to be as honest as I can about what's going um, through my head. If that, if that allows folks to, I mean, I don't want to be comedic relief in a sense, but I think, um, it's important to recognize folks in government as real people. And I think that's something that helped me um, really connect with with voters and, and um, even folks who didn't vote for me um, to, to know that I understand that we're in a crisis of connection here. And I want folks to be able to relate to me in different ways and know that you can hold multiple identities and, and be a really good law-abiding citizen in person. And, you know, I just that day I'm a person that didn't want to shave their legs and was happy that I didn't. I think uh, in these in these absurd times, as you called them, that is uh, very reasonable. Um, But yeah, I mean, the first time we talked about your campaign was back in May when you were getting ready to launch it. And I mean, you you either pulled off like the greatest con and fooled me or you um, put on what I would say was the most really like organic movement toward candidacy that I've ever seen because, you know, following you, knowing you in the community, I, 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 you know, knew what you'd done in terms of Culinary Ladies Collective and other sort of local activism things. And you were getting really active with your frustration with the government that wasn't helping people um, during the pandemic. And that kind of, it seemed to roll into, well, hey, maybe I should run for office. Um, so what was what was your thought process? What were the events that really led to you going from I'm going to speak out about this, I'm going to be vocal about it, to I'm going to try to do something about it? I think there's um, a real lack and failure in leadership 
multiple levels right now. And one thing that I think a lot of leaders have in common at the government level is a lack of accountability. And so I think when you are active and loud in a community demanding change um, and you want to be a part of it, um, I am now, you know, accountable and I hold deep responsibilities um, to this community because I've been come elected. So I think I knew we needed different leadership and I, that was the biggest um, push for me to run for office. I need, I knew we needed new leadership. And I think I knew that we needed, we needed leaders who weren't going to, and I'm doing it right now, um, who are going to actually walk the walk and not talk the talk about being for the people and being for the people for me is about actually understanding that there are talent, there is talent, there is work being done right now in communities, um, particularly uh, communities of color who have had to work with very little and have created community and created neighborhood and created um, better places for their neighbors to live in. And I think it's important that government leaders recognize that and provide resources for them to continue doing that work. But it comes with acknowledging that um I don't know what you need. I want to learn and support you in the way that you need to be supported. So we need new communication infrastructure. We need accessible communication to our government leaders. We need, it seems absurd that we're fighting for such basic human rights when it comes to housing and healthcare and education, but here we are. And so, um, Seeking to fix the failure in leadership and then knowing that the community would have someone they could really hold accountable, um, knowing someone who's been vocal and public. Um, and, and I think it's going to engage a lot more folks. And that's what was my call to action. Was the reason I want to run. And I think there should be someone that you should know um, that you can relate to that is at the decision making table. For people who haven't gotten to know you yet, can you talk a little bit about your background before you ran for office? Yeah, so I am born and raised in Madison. I got as, about as far as St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I grew up on the near west side in a community called Eagle Heights, which is generally student housing. My parents immigrated here um, in the 80s. My dad uh, wanted to, uh, got his, was in the PhD program for sociology. He still actually works um, for the university to this day at the Wiseman Center. Um, went to, graduated from West High School, and then um, that's when I got as far as St. Paul, and then came back did a little stint in Costa Rica because, you know, we all have to find ourselves at one point. <laughs> um, and I was there actually um, working on a cacao farm. I did some translating. Gail Ambrosius met me there. Um, cool. He was teaching a class on how to make chocolate. So, yeah, food was always kind of a part of my life. And when I came back to Madison and was at UW-Madison, um, I was actually working to get into J school. I wanted to be a um, sports anchor. Um, and really? Yeah. Like I, um, Michelle Tafoya and, uh, you know, those were, I wanted to be sideline reporting. I also wanted to do stories about um, women in sports. Um, 
But I was working part-time in restaurants to help pay for school. And one day uh, there was a guy who didn't show up, I think, to do salads um, on the Garmage station. And I kind of jumped on and, and fell in love. Um, so I ended up dropping out of college to cook full time. And I worked my way through a lot of local, amazing local restaurants, because for me, the fact that I was getting to do something with my hands, feeling like I was a part of a community and then getting paid for it just made sense um, to get paid for doing what you love. I eventually became um, the executive chef at 43 North Restaurant, um, was one of the youngest and I think one of the few female chefs, executive chefs in the area at the time. And then uh, took a little break from cooking and then came back to open um, Morris Ramen in 2016. It was also the year that I had my son. So I think my family grew by about 24 people that year. <laughs> um, and I don't recommend folks opening a restaurant and having a baby at the same time. I actually know women in this town who have done that. And so we can all agree there now. Um, but it was, you know, it was a space that Matt and I, uh, my partner Matt and I, we always wanted it to be about community. And, and I know that's such a broad term that folks use these we knew that, you know, we had come from so many restaurants that turned and burned employees. We had worked from so many places where management or owners were not present. And so it was really important for us to um, invest in our staff and our and make them feel like they were part of a team and then work to kind of build our family, our restaurant family. And so, you know, four and a half years later, we... Um, still have a good chunk of that original team. And I, that's something that we are so proud of. Um, and during that time, I also formed um, with uh, my colleagues, Tammy Lax and Layla Burrow came the Culinary Ladies Collective because we knew we needed more representation in our industry. We also knew that our community was hurting. You know, Trump had just been elected and we um, knew that we needed to mobilize and use our resources and our talents to um, support other like-minded organizations that wanted to help uh, and uplift um, women and non-binary allies in our community. So really proud of the work that we've done in terms of fundraising for people, uh, for organizations like Planned Parenthood. I think our cookie box fundraiser brought in just over $75,000 for them. Um, but more importantly, Culinary Ladies Collective has been has become a, a networking space um, for women to really go and say anything from, I'm out of this dishwashing li liquid at my shop, or, you know, I'm looking to start a business, where can I go? And then to, to point them towards organizations like Doyen, or um, to at least be say, hey, we're looking for staff here, or um, we had this problem come up. So, and to know that we were all there at supporting one another, I think throughout the four years that we've been open, even being part of an industry that is supposed to center care, I think there's been a lot um, in the community and really in our state and uh, the world about what care actually means, what building a community of care means. Um, so, you know, once COVID hit, we... Uh, we were at a point where we didn't realize, you know, we, I, I think 
I'm still reckoning with with all of the injustices that were exacerbated and revealed that had been there for a while in terms of systemic racism and and what role we had in terms of addressing systemic racism in the hospitality industry. And then I think my mind just went bigger. Um, And so we founded Cook It Forward, which is working to kind of address food insecurity through an equity lens and also help uplift restaurants. And then um, with the candidacy, I think it was again about care and connection. Um, I think we need more people engaged and caring about what's happening in politics and the role of government right now and what their role is in that. So having more people just thinking about it and knowing that there are folks like me, if, if, if I can care, you can care <laughs> about what's going on in that big gray building. So yeah. And now we're here still living in absurd times. <laughs> so really important question. I was talking to some friends about the election results and apparently they really didn't care about the political analysis at all. They just wanted to know, is the ramen still going to be as delicious as it is now when you have to split your duties? So here's the secret. I mean, the past year or so, I think I found myself more active in the community because the leadership that has come out of the shop and the team that puts so much care into um, running the restaurant. I mean, I'm more at their disposal now than anything. You know, I want to hear their ideas. I want to know, like, I think Matt and I, we built the foundation and now they're running the house. So if you had ramen in the past year, there's probably a, not a high chance that I made it for you. You know, there's, I'm thinking about taking chef off my resume and really um, putting dishwasher in instead. Um, the ramen shop, my partner will still be running it. Um, I will be behind the scenes for as long as I can and then transition over giving more responsibility to a very capable staff that um, is ready for more responsibility. Um, and especially since COVID, I really have cut down my hours quite a bit because I've been trying to give as many hours uh, to folks as I can. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of it's to the point now where I show up and, and folks are kind of like, um, you know, I'm, they have to tell me what to do. And so then I'm a little (laughs) burden. Um, so I think, you know, I, I cover when I need to, um, but the, the shop is in very good hands and really has been for a while. I'm sure everyone will be very reassured. (laughs) Um, so I, I know I've, I've certainly said this, uh, I think on Twitter at some point, but I, I think that your slogan of share the table has got to be one of the best campaign slogans ever, at least <laughs> that I've seen, uh, in a while. So what, what does that mean, um, to you? So I think there's a lot of conversation around having a seat at the table. And then the other thing I was hearing a lot was like, you don't want to be on the menu, um, And, and, you know, I'm just trying to get with the lingo, but (laughs) for, for a lot of folks and for me, it's, it's, um, it has to go beyond sharing just a seat. And when I think about sharing the table, I think it, for me, it's this notion that, um, the table isn't something that is 
stagnant and stuck in one place. I think it means that we can bring the table to so many other places and hear more voices and have more representation. Um, and representation right now and um, more representation right now in terms of folks' backgrounds and experiences is so desperately needed. In just watching uh, the DNC this week, I think it's been really inspiring and I think more comfortable, at least for me, to see a convention that is actually representative of more experiences, um, more backgrounds, and not just race, but in, in um, generations and, and ethnicities. And I think it's, that's, I mean, it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic and multiple crises and to really get us to take more drastic steps to get there. But, um, you know, at least we have a better starting point. Now we have a table to share. And I think um, that's what share the table means to me is, is really prioritizing representation. And, and like I said, doing it at, through actions. So the, the field that you ran in was huge, obviously, and competitive. I mean, a lot of, you know, people from, you know, veteran local elected officials to people who have never run before to, you know, people in the private sector. And it seemed seemed like, I guess, every candidate kind of had like a different piece of Madison progressivism that they sort of brought to the table. So I'm kind of curious what you'll take away from the race that you ran and the people that you were competing against. I mean, I wish we had this group of candidates and we could have just put them across like different of the state. Um, I ran alongside some of the most progressive, generous, um, thoughtful, and intelligent group of individuals. Um, And of course, leave it to me to enter a race where there was so much representation, right? Like we were fighting for, uh, like a lot of our policies were very similar, um, or like it was this battle of the progressives. So um, I've already been active in reaching out to each one of the candidates to really, again, listen and and try to incorporate as many of their policies um, into my platform as I can and continue, because I think right now community building starts and ends with relationship building. And I want to make sure to keep a relationship with each one of the candidates because they are a leader in their own communities. Um, and, and it's important that leaders continue to act as conduits to to um, folks that they're serving. Um, and that seems really obvious, but there are so many times where you don't feel that from folks who are representing you. So I really want to make sure to work with um, Tyrone, Heather, Nikki, Marsha, uh, Allie, and Dewey um, to, you know, hopefully you'll see a couple of us uh, on another episode of Sharing the Table. Um, <laughs> but everyone is so, here's the thing, like, no one was going back to just like chilling after the campaign. Everyone is still working actively in the city and their community, doing advocacy work, um, so it's it's kind of wild to think it's like all right let's let's get together for some coffee and then it's like we're we're all just busy juggling um the work and so it was really kind of just a privilege to be able to have the field of candidates that we had and i think i'm i'm looking forward to continuing to work with them 
I've also seen, um, you know, you mentioned the DNC, you've been involved with some of the DNC efforts, but you're out there, um, you know, obviously can't be physically campaigning for people, but you're, you're speaking out on behalf of other candidates and other races that are maybe going to face a tougher general election um, com- competition than you will. What are you seeing that's exciting you and, and what do those efforts kind of look like for you? Yeah, so I am definitely going to be going on a road trip in a couple of weeks here, um, getting to know candidates across the state and helping them fundraise. I am really excited about Jacob Malowski in the 82nd. Um, he is one of the brightest, uh, nicest human beings I think I've met. He's a first generation um, college graduate who just finished Yale, by the way. Um, and then is running this campaign, just kind of championing people and calling out complacency of the current incumbent. I think there's like an almost 60-year-old age difference. Um, but for me, I, I always want more folks to listen to and um, actually follow what youth leaders have to say. Um, I think it's impossible to ignore youth voices when Really, they've been born and uh, continue to be compounded with issues that they had nothing to do with and now are forced to reckon with, um, whether that be the climate crisis, multiple financial collapses, um, and the fact that it's become normal for them to experience gun violence um, in their community, in their schools. It's it's something really no one should have to ever deal with and, and they were born into. So... Um, and youth in the streets as well. And speaking of youth, Josephine Janes won her district, um, the 96th, I believe, um, 18 years old, just posted a picture of her with like her new calf today. And I was like, I'm stalking her. I don't think she knows who I am yet, but like I'm full on stalker mode. <laughs> um, trying to like Amber for campaign because, you know, that was, that was a seat that I think was lost by less than a thousand votes. Um, Gonna gonna learn and, and go champion uh, Robin Vining, who would probably like the best response to my to my like, hey, I want to come out and help fundraise, and it was just like, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, OMG, OMGs, like emojis, and I was like, I can get <laughs> this energy. Um, and then Chris Marion, I know, I think everyone's got to go watch her her videos she did with that, you know, our small farms and and preserving our small farms is the answer to uh, addressing um, climate change and really helping to act on climate justice as well. Um, She really hoping we can do some sort of farm table dinner event um, that, you know, from a distance, but yeah, those are some, those are candidates that we're, we're talking to now. And, and you'll see actually um, at the end of this week, we'll be posting um, kind of like info profiles of, of candidates that we'd really like Madison voters to get behind and support, you know, boost up their social media presence. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get on the road. I haven't left town in months and we'll be doing it from a distance by myself. We're at the mask. Mm-hmm. Car. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I also haven't been up north in over a year. Um, I know that's a very general. <laughs> you can get into a whole argument about what that means. Right? <laughs> like I was already told to like watch out when you say like up north, you got to know every like I have to do my geography homework. Um, but yeah, just I'm really stoked to 
because I don't think we should. I mean, yes, we need to save the video, but I want more. I think we have an opportunity to flip seats, and I think we have an opportunity to keep the ones that folks thought maybe weren't safe, keep them safe, and, and, and aim high. Go high. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So when you're in office, what are the first things on the agenda for you? Well, we are still going to be dealing with and and, uh, having to address the worldwide pandemic. That is COVID-19 and the GOP is going to throw the budget shortfall in the face, in our faces nonstop. So I think um, the most important thing is to recognize that we have to continue to invest in people and communities and that um, to, to champion that austerity and, and worrying about this type of budget is not not what is going to uh, perpetuate and bring back an economy that is permanently damaged due to lack of action. Um, so first thing I'm going to do is to really champion expanding health care um, and making sure that we have, at, I hope at that point, there's federal dollars that we will be allocating out to local and county municipalities um, and working closely in terms of getting housing for folks. I think um, I was on a call with the uh, folks who are you know, di- uh, overseeing homelessness in the state and homelessness is a bipartisan issue. And that's, that's how we start crafting policy on um, how to get housing to folks. It's, it's going to be about championing basic human rights that we all have uh, absolutely the, the right to access. And so expanding healthcare, um, housing, and then um, constantly pushing for sustained funding for K-12 education um, and higher education and taking a look at um, child care. So it's going to be a lot. We're going to have to go in with all cylinders firing all the time. But I know that based on folks I've met from the caucus that, you know, we're I think we're in a good position to do some leveraging, to do some calling out, to know that the people in the districts who have leaders who don't represent their interests, that they will no longer stand by and uh, to really start fighting harder. So we should also note, I guess, as far as we can tell, because they don't keep good records on this stuff, but we think you'll be the first Asian American in the state legislature, right? Um, So what does that mean for you? Well, it's kind of shocking um, because I know that there is a growing um, Asian American population in this state. And I think post-census, we're going to see our numbers. I think we're at just under 4% now. I, I anticipate that going up multiple percentage points. Um, being the first Asian American legislator to me means that um, I have even more responsibilities than I did before. I think it means having representation um, in a position of policy and decision-making power. Um, hope inspires more Asian Americans to build coalitions. I think it means that if Voss and Steinecke want don't want to condemn the use of words like Kung flu and China virus that our president has 
perpetuated um, harmful racist language that they do not condemn um, means, you know, you're going to have to answer to me and I want you to say that to my face. I think it makes a difference to have someone in the room who is representing a community that is um, not always, not often considered. And I think it's also important to recognize that the AAPI community is vastly diverse in socioeconomic statuses, in uh, we're multiracial, we um, are multi-generational and come from different uh, immigrant backgrounds. Some of us are, you know, first generation and, and others have families who have lived here for years. And I think it's really important to continue to spread that message so that the policies and the needs aren't monolithic and and don't, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this because I know it's the GOP's favorite term right now, but they're they're right in some, I can't even say that they're right, but it's, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to the API community. It is not. Um, and so I'm excited to talk, you know, really get to know the API community um, across the state. I'm excited to work alongside. Um, there is recently formed just this year, actually, after after COVID hit. hit um, when uh, No, I think it was after the murder of George Floyd, where they um, formed uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Coalition of Wisconsin. And so um, you're seeing more activism, you're seeing engagement. And I think for me, it's on a very personal note, you know, my proximity to whiteness and kind of being complicit in systems of structural and systemic racism, um, I often didn't want to be identified as Asian American. You know, I think I grew up here hoping that I wouldn't have to be identified as that and then I didn't want to be separated. And so to go in now as the first Asian American legislator brings me a sense of pride that I really didn't feel like I deserved or was allowed to feel for a very long time. So it's really cool that I, um, you know, can now openly talk about being Korean American and that I can speak Korean and that I um, am so proud to have been able to go back and still have family there. It, it brings me immense joy and, and immense, I, I know that it's a great privilege to be able to represent this community. So before we wrap up, um, my favorite part of this podcast is the lightning round where I get to ask you fun questions. Not that this wasn't fun, but <laughs> um, less political questions, I guess I should say. Um, are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I think right now, uh, fuck. Um, you can name more than one. If you know. Yeah, I think it's got to be the um, uh, the one from uh, the, the the fuck COVID one from Ale Asylum. Oh yeah, yeah. I you know what I actually haven't tried it yet. Um, it's very good. I will have to seek it out because they sold out so fast the first time they released it yeah. and. Oh, yeah. or um, I'm sorry. I know this. I just I haven't had it in a little bit because it's not out yet. Um, Giant Jones, um, their uh, double IPA. Ooh, okay, nice, mm-hmm. good call. Um, what is the best advice you have been given by a parent or a loved one? 
the best advice has been to breathe. <laughs> yeah, my dad tells me to breathe and slow down a lot, and I get very annoyed by it. But um, it's it's. I mean, it turns out breathing's important. So now it's important. <laughs> Sometimes we all need a reminder. I think. <laughs> Do you have a, a political role model or a, a non-political role model? So it's a tie between Dolly Parton and Michelle Obama. Oh, that's like a dream team. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're um, in a much different place if we just let those two run shit. Oh for my it. god, they should just take over for all of us. <laughs> oh god. Um, what are you listening to right now, like music or podcast wise? Uh, podcast wise, I've been listening to a lot of the Ezra Klein show. Um, music wise, I, if it's not Dolly or, um, uh, I really like, um, Mahalia. I've been listening to a lot of Mahalia. Um, are you watching anything right now? If you had time to watch anything? <laughs> I, unfortunately, I haven't. Um, I think the most recent thing I watched, um, my son, for some reason, is not huge into like shows or movies, but we played The Sound of Music, and he loved it. So <laughs> the last thing I watched, I think the last show I finished was um, uh, right when the restaurant shut down, um, I, I binged The Mandalorian. That was great. That was that is so good. Yeah. For me, I feel like Mandalorian, and then like maybe Empire, and then like Rogue One. I don't know. It just like surpassed. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, Baby Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the last thing that you read or are currently reading that really stuck with you? So I am reading Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning um, by Susan Park Hong. I'm also reading Our Declaration by Danielle Allen. I'm like quarter of the way into a bunch of books. Um, and then uh, the, the, <laughs> the Deficit Myth. All right. None of that sounds particularly light right now. <laughs> no, not, you know, just trying to figure out learn more about MMT and BD. Okay. What do you know what the first concert was that you went to? Backstreet boys. Oh man. That's great. (laughs) Um, What, what was the best concert that you've gone to? Assuming it wasn't that. Oh, Gogo Bordello. Uh, um, Gogo Bordello. I think, not at the overture. I think no. We went to see them in Milwaukee. They were fantastic. Um, I think it was right after Transcontinental Hustle. Am I getting the name of that album right? Um, but yeah, just a just a party of a of a show. I miss live music. <laughs> that question used to be so much more fun to ask than it is now, and I was like, oh, better days. We'll uh, there. We'll someday. There. Speaking of things that we used to be able to do, um, do you have a favorite vacation destination in Wisconsin? Uh, so I think I've only been there once, but we camped in Herbster, Wisconsin once. I have never heard of Herbster. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, on Lake Superior. Uh, okay. You know, you get to just camp like right on the sand. There's very few folks there. Um, the water is cold as shit, and uh, we yeah. I, but aside from that, I mean, we. I'm not okay. This is not going to sound great. I'm not a huge camper, um, and I'm not not big on like cabin life per se. But I I do love um, being able to go to the different lakes, and um, I don't know. Hot dogs just taste better over fire in the middle of yeah. Wisconsin. But always yeah, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. So if you made, if you had a Wisconsin bucket list, so like something that you think that's so Wisconsin that you've never done, um, do you have anything like that that you'd like to do? I have never been to the state fair. <gasps> okay, so I'm actually like not that fun. Like I don't <laughs> like places where there's a lot of people, like even the co- music concerts for me, I think because I'm so like in my own zone and like focusing on the artist, like it doesn't feel like there's like a ton of people around. Um, yeah. But like, you know, when folks want to go to water parks or like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not that fun. Um, so like state fairs and carnivals to me, like don't, um, you know, get, don't get me excited. And I have never been to our state fair. Well, it's going to bite me in the ass, isn't it? I, I mean, Governor Evers and his wife apparently have gone every year for the last like 50 years or something ridiculous like that. Wow. Yeah. It's, I, I will probably get in trouble for saying this too, but like, if you're not, I don't know, if you're not like a crowds person, I don't know if I would recommend going because, yeah. you know, you can get fried food other places and right and well we have county fair here and um i don't know i mean i've got most of the sport like i follow wisconsin sports for a long for very long Mm -hmm. um and then you know i my family we didn't my family started camping pretty much like after my sister and i left the house so now (laughs) you know we didn't we didn't grow up camping but i i do I should say I like Mirror Lake too. We did Mirror Lake. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and I think um, Manitowish waters up there. But yeah, no, I uh, no state fair. Well, maybe next year. Uh, okay, are you ready for the last one? Mm-hmm. It's your favorite Wisconsin cheese. Oh, that's that's not fair. <laughs> you can name a few. I mean, Landmark Creamery, everything that they make has been phenomenal. Um, but I really, they're, they're brave. It's just their regular, it's like this spreadable, soft, amazing, mm. raw goodness. Um, you put that on some, you know, origin sourdough or Madison sourdough, and it's pretty much you don't need anything else for the rest of your day. You're so happy. Um, I mean, I, there's a, goat cheddar that comes from Capri that we really loved and we actually were able to put into a couple different ramens this past year. Got shout out to Andy and, and love for Pleasant Ridge Reserve, uh, which is just like the king of cheeses. Yeah, that one's hard. That one's really hard. So I'm, I'm, those are like what I'm, those are the cheeses I'm thinking about right now. I, I don't think I could say I have a favorite. 
I think, you know, there's different cheeses for different occasions. Exactly. And yeah, I, I feel, I feel a little bad asking these questions sometimes. Cause I'm like, I could never answer that. I could never choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but then some people are just like, I don't know, like Colby and you know, move on. <laughs> oh, but yeah. And Mark Creamery, I just, Anna and Anna, they're both two of the best people and, and giant Jones beer. I think, yeah, if you, a perfect summer night for me is going to be Giant Jones beer, Landmark Creamery cheese, some sourdough, and um, yeah, we'll go Goberdello and Dolly Parton in the background. We should be okay. That sounds kind of perfect. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for doing this and letting us get to know you a little bit better. And um, sure, we'll we'll check back in at some point after you've spent some time in the capital and see how you're feeling about things. Yes, that'll um, that'll be fun. I'm looking yeah. to do it. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. And since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. For more Wisconsin politics talk, you can subscribe to Wedge Issues on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you prefer to listen. And it's always helpful if you can leave a rating or a review. If you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations for me, you can email me at jopoyan at madison.com, or you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie. I'd like to recommend a couple other Cap Times podcasts that we have, like The Corner Table about food and drink, and The Madsplainers about local government and our Cap Times cover stories. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.